Hello and welcome to Two Cool Story with me, Janaki Brolin. This is the podcast where, from my home in Sweden, I travel back in time and read from my diary from 2006. I was a medical student then, and together with my husband Pear, was traveling and working in the Indian Himalayas, trying to broaden my horizons. As my own words recreate images of religious crowds and organized health camps, I am realizing that the world on the surface has changed, but deep within, core values of human behavior and social attitudes remain unchanged, regardless of the time or place. In Sweden, the free movement of people is difficult to curtail. While many other European countries repeatedly went into lockdown throughout 2020, Swedish schools and shops remained open and citizens were recommended, but not forced, to follow guidelines. As the pandemic entered its second summer this year, travel restrictions were beginning to be lifted. Double vaccinated citizens were no longer discouraged from socialising and travelling. And now, as the warm summer comes to an end, people are returning to work with a mixed feeling of hope and uncertainty. The speed of vaccinations had varied across the country. In some municipalities, vaccines were piling up, waiting for potential recipients to learn to navigate the electronic booking system to book a slot for their jabs, while in other municipalities the waiting times were long due to the shortage of staff. The debate about which type of vaccine should be given to which group left governing bodies in a state of confusion. Surplus of AstraZeneca vaccines were donated to low-resource countries, while young Swedes waited for a jab of a different brand which was deemed safer. The logistics, principles and ethics of providing healthcare are not simple. Much of the management strategies and policies during COVID-19 were based on beliefs rather than science. Which decisions were right and which were wrong will be left to historians to judge. But now it is time to turn the pages of my diary. Today we will be visiting Badrinath, a popular pilgrim site high up in the Himalayas now accessible by road, before a visit at a district hospital in Gopeshwar and then a rural health camp. Sixteenth of May, two thousand and six. I am running about a week behind in my diary. Let me begin with Badrinath. We spent three days there, and it was to be yet another unique experience. When we arrived up at the temple gates, we joined hundreds of pilgrims from all corners of India, jostling to catch a glimpse of the deity at the colourful Badrinath Mandir. Clad in a red sari and newly purchased bangles. I looked the part, but still felt lost. Not used to pushing and clambering crowds, Pear was nervous and uncomfortable. Now that we were here, 
I felt we ought to leave with some prashad, and I wanted to help Pat learn to cope with the large crowds that were a necessary part of life in India. Holding hands tightly, we finally managed to be pushed to the front from where, squeezed tightly between human bodies, we caught a glimpse of the grand golden idol of Vishnu. A pujari, clad in black, was carrying out a lavish arti in the distance. While Pear and I clutched each other, wishing the ordeal to be over soon and wondering whether we will ever take in a deep breath again, I overheard pious ladies next to me expressing their delight over getting such a grand view of the arti. As the arti ended, the crowd broke. We grabbed some prashad and gasped for air. We had to find a quiet spot to sit, recover and contemplate. As always, we'd have with us we are our letter-writing pads and pens and we thought this would be a good moment to finish writing letters to our mothers. We found a quiet spot outside the main temple and lit a few incense sticks at the less visited shrine of Hanuman before we left. It made us both realise how captivating religion can be. Set in the beautiful snow-capped Himalayas, with a pure Alaknanda river gushing by, the attention of the hundreds, thousands of pilgrims who had painstakingly travelled here was only on a gold-clad man-made statue. The richer Hindus had been allowed a closer look at the idol, while the rest shoved and jostled for a glimpse and a few grains of prashad. Why this distinction? And why is it accepted? The next day, we drove three kilometres to the village of Mana and walked another five kilometres over rocky meadows to the Vasundhara Falls. We spent a few quiet hours here with the Chokamba range rising before us, the great expanse of the Alaknanda glacier and only the sound of the high waterfall spraying into the air. It was here, surrounded by the untouched delights of nature, that I could think, contemplate, enjoy and meditate, reflect on life, make plans for the future. For me, this is what spirituality is about. Visiting Badrinath had taught me some important lessons. And equally our Simple life for now and new experiences in the villages around Sithiel had catalyzed a new appreciation of the sheer strength and beauty of nature and her capacity to shape our lives and who we are. On Sunday morning, back from our pilgrimage, I was happy to see the familiar waters of the Nandakini again as we drove up the valley to Ghat. Another familiar, treacherous, Jeep ride took us to Sealbagar, where the specialist health camp was being held. An ENT surgeon and a dentist from Srinagar had been invited. The camp was run akin to an outpatient clinic. Patient turnout was lower than expected because, of course, the villagers were busy with the harvest and, as always, work takes priority over health in these parts. We watched antibiotics and steroids being dished out recklessly, as always, we watched the dentist pull out a tooth with precious little use of local anaesthetic, a shaky experience for all of us who watched, not least for the patient. 
and Pair observed that the camp could have been exploited for much greater benefit. Awareness, hygiene practices are what is most lacking in this region. The opportunity could have been taken to educate groups, hand out leaflets, demonstrate to children the techniques and importance of teeth brushing, etc. Boxes full of contraceptions and condoms had been carried to the camp and brought back untouched. We had already seen from our meeting in Vaduk that there was both a need and a demand for these services, but a reluctance to ask and poor access are the main barriers. A more active and contributory approach to the camp would have made greater use of a golden opportunity, I thought. Our next two days were spent at the district hospital in Gopeshwar, and these were in stark contrast to our experiences in rural Ghat. The medical outpatient clinic was attended mostly by town dwellers with urban illnesses, hypertension, diabetes, adolescents with skin complaints and common colds. It was more like a primary care clinic, a reflection of the non-existent primary care system in India. The number of rural patients, however, was surprisingly low, and I extrapolated that if villagers were unwell enough to brave a long trek and a treacherous jeep ride to a hospital, they were likely to travel to Srinagar, where apparently services were more extensive. At the orthopaedic outpatients the next morning, we saw a number of trauma cases. Basic surgery was being offered here. Partial hip replacements, external fixation, internal patent screw fixation, intramedullary pins, etc. Treatment was free, but patients had to pay for the cost of the prosthesis. We also saw cases of club foot tuberculosis osteomyelitis. And I learned that quadruple drug therapy for tuberculosis could be taken in the form of a handy single tablet. The hospital was basically equipped and did not seem to be uncontrollably busy. The wards had spare beds, and unsurprisingly, specialist doctor posts were unfilled. We appreciated how different life in Gopeshwar was from Sithil, just 40 kilometres away. A different lifestyle, different outlook, different ailments and different expectations. And at the local restaurant, we remarkably met three other Swedes. The three Swedish women had been in Gopeshwar for several months working for a social awareness NGO. And I couldn't help reflecting. Swedes. There are only 10 million of them in Sweden, and driven by their sense of adventure, they managed to spread themselves thinly across the globe.